Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you this morning. Scripture readings this morning are from Genesis 15 and Galatians 3. Let's give ear to the Word of God. Here's Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Moses says here, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And then the New Testament from Galatians, which is our text this morning, Galatians 3, 1-9, through 9, Paul says here, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Let's pray. I thank you for this opportunity this morning to come before you and to learn from you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit that the words that I speak are are accurate and pleasing to you, Lord, that they would not be from me, but they would originate in heaven, that you would send forth your word to accomplish what you plan for it to accomplish. And indeed, Lord, that fruit would would be um, its outcome fruit that brings glory to your name in all that are here this morning. So be glorified, God, as we seek your face together in your word. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Every time I preach, I steal Kelly's Bible. <laughs> Isn't that great? There's some in the pews. Honey, it's okay. That's because she has the uh, the New King James that I like. So I should get one for myself. <laughs> Galatians chapter three. 
So there's a, a string that kind of threads through the New Testament, um, through Romans and Galatians and Hebrews, um, all going back to Habakkuk. Um, and the author to Romans and Galatians, Paul, and then also to Hebrews, whom we don't know with certainty, all quotes Habakkuk. This verse that we know well, the just shall live by faith. And, and Galatians, um, is what we're looking at this morning, focuses on the living part. It's not an exact, <clears throat> um, an exact uh, science, I guess, to separate it like this. But in general, it is true to say that when Paul in Romans quotes Habakkuk, he's talking about justification. When Paul in Galatians quotes Habakkuk, he's talking about sanctification or life, live. So we have the just, Romans, live, Galatians, and then faith, we have Hebrews. Um, and so we're going to be focusing on that this morning. And Paul is really speaking to the Galatians, saying if God really has done this this true work of salvation in you by His grace alone, then you will continue by His grace alone. Your sanctification in Christ will not, truly cannot occur apart from the grace of Christ. He goes so far as to use such strong language Warning that salvation might not even be there in the first place. We'll see that in our text this morning. But the lives of the Galatians are such that they are seeking to please God based on the works of the law. Trying to be able to grow closer to God and, and live for Him based on merit which is not the gospel, and that's what Paul addresses in Galatians chapter 1 when he says, you know, you've turned to another gospel, but actually there is no other. It's not like there's an option of gospels, but what he's saying is that there is a misrepresentation of God and, and Christianity and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is exclusive it, it's unchanging. And so let's see what Paul says to these churches in this region. In verse 1 he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? When he calls them foolish, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. One from Psalm 14, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 9, Proverbs 1. Um, 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and we see this wisdom versus folly here. Paul is calling out the Galatians and calling them foolish. In other words, since Jesus was so clearly portrayed among them as crucified, the very foundation of their justification, the foundation of their salvation, then why would they go and act as the fool does, as if there is no God? In other words, as if one can attain favor from God by the works of the law. What folly that is, Paul is saying. It's that they are acting as if they've never had that point of beginning with God. 
that beginning point, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of. They've never had it according to the lives that they're living, and that's why Paul is so concerned with them and writing this letter to them. That starting point of rebirth which makes one alive to God. And then being alive anew, there is now a capability of fearing God. You see, you don't fear God in a holy, healthy manner, and then God saves you, and then God makes you alive, because indeed the dead don't fear God. The living do. And then now that we have that beginning point, that that fear of God in this healthy way, we can now possess a true knowledge of who God is and who we are, and then we possess the wisdom to cry out to Him for salvation. Think of Romans chapter 10. And the life of the child of God should be built on that foundation alone, that we grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ. Having that starting point of being made alive so that we can fear Him, we now are able to have knowledge and wisdom according to His will, according to His revelation to us through His Scriptures. And that's how the entirety of our lives should be and going on through eternity as well. So the problem with the churches in Galatia here is that they were living in a manner of self-reliance and not God-reliance. Uh, In fact, if we go back to the first chapter of Galatians in chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, Paul says that their lives are a marvel to him, and it is in a negative manner. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is marveled that what he presented to them and what they appeared to receive, they're turning away from. Now, why is that a marvel? Simple, because a true work of God in the heart of man brings about a life that is lived for God. Paul marveled at the fact that these Galatians would seem to trust in God's grace for their salvation and then turn from His grace to try to earn His favor for their sanctification. That was a marvel to him. The conduct conduct of these churches is such that Paul actually addresses them by their earthly geographical position and not their position in Christ. Did you guys catch that? Foolish Galatians. That's, that's not something to grasp onto with hope, right? I mean, consider from Ephesians. Paul says in Ephesians 1.1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. I mean, contrast that with to the fools who were in Galatia, (laughs) right? 
And Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. I mean, the emphasis is that you are in Christ, not where you live. And Colossians, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. But in Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 2, all he says is, to the churches of Galatia. To those congregating in the name of the Lord in the region of Galatia. That's not a blessing. That's just an acknowledgement. (laughs) Foolish Galatians, he says. Now, who has bewitched? Who has put a spell on you? What is this satanic deception that you are under that you would not obey the truth? That you are not continuing as you began? In Christ, by grace. It says that Jesus was clearly portrayed among them as crucified. So seemingly they go from from clarity to fogginess. They go from sight to blindness. And there's an irony here because in this letter alone, Paul speaks of his own eyesight twice. In chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So it's believed, based on this and at the end of this, this book as well, that Paul's eyesight was horrible. And that the Galatians at one point would have done such a thing for him if I could take away your hardship of sight and give you my own eyes, they would have at one point, said the Galatian believers. And then if you turn to the end of the book in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And perhaps emphasizing the fact that instead of Um, Paul reciting and having somebody write for him, he's saying, this is such a big deal. I am worried that you are not even in Christ, that I am writing myself. The letters are so big because I can't see. So isn't it interesting that they're bewitched? They're deceived. We walk not by sight, but by faith. And the sight is according to blindness and the faith is according to actual spiritual sight, right? And so I see some irony there that Paul can draw a parallel. He's testifying. He's testifying when he talks about Jesus being clearly portrayed as crucified among them that as an apostle, he preached to them the gospel which he received from God, like we read in chapter 1. He received it from God. He did not receive it from man. And he did so clearly and accurately to the church in Galatia, and it appeared as though they received it sincerely. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he continues on, this only I want to learn from you. Here's here's, uh, another question that he poses. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So now he's saying, allow me to inquire of the origin of your faith. Um, Keep in mind that there's only one gospel, That of grace based entirely on the work of Christ on behalf of his own. So Paul is saying, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Which is impossible. Just prior in chapter 2 and 21, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. This is important. For if 
righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So, did they receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Impossible. By the hearing of faith? Exclusively. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Verse 3, again, he brings into this their folly. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The manner in which you walk, in other words, sanctification, indicates the validity of your sonship or your daughtership, i.e. justification. Your life validates your profession. There are none who are made perfect by the flesh. Again, if this were possible, then Christ died in vain. Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So what is vanity? The death of Christ? Um, Is it the suffering of the church? These are serious questions to answer. We know Christ did not die in vain. But Paul is wondering if they have suffered in vain. His, His clear concern here that they're... Their suffering in the name of Christ was vanity is also mingled with hope because he says, if indeed it was in vain, so he's not condemning them. Paul knows not their hearts. God does. But he's saying the evidence is sad. So we have a a concern and it's mingled with hope and it's communicated with faith. Faith that if they are truly justified, God will grant repentance here too so that they turn to Christ and rely on Him completely for their entire walk with Him. Turn to Mark chapter 10, please. And this is just one example of what could fall under the parameters of suffering for the name of Christ. This is what Jesus said in Mark 10. We'll read 29 to 31. This is Jesus, and he's answering a question Peter poses, and he says in verse 29, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first to be alive to God is to be dead to self and dead to the world and the things of the world like the apostle John says contrasting our love for the world and the things of it and our love for God and His Word, which is eternal as He is. And what I thought of Mark and what Jesus says here, there's many places we could have gone regarding their suffering for Christ's sake, but this is a good example because it talks about the disciple of Christ forsaking all for Jesus to follow Him. So now everything that you had is gone, but you also now 
gain persecution on top of that. So imagine if these in Galatia are not actually saved, which is Paul's concern, and they left everything behind and they get persecuted, but they don't have the blessings that Jesus spoke of. Have you suffered in vain? That's suffering. They they forsake all. They are hated as Jesus is. But it was for nothing. To experience the goodness that comes from earthly familial relationships, I believe, falls under the umbrella of common grace. You know, God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. You don't have to be a born-again Christian to have tender love for your spouse or your children or your parents. And imagine, imagine forsaking all of those relationships and then being hated by the world and it turns out that it's all vanity. You can see Paul's concern. What a pitiful thing to sever these relationships in vain, to be found with nothing and then left with nothing. Back to Galatians. So we're in verse 5, and Paul's going to ask again here, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's continuing in this line of questioning. Does God work in his church and through his church by his Spirit via the merit of man or via his grace? And so we know the five solas are for justification, right? But do we think of them in terms of sanctification in the Christian walk as well? Isn't that what Paul is saying here? Isn't he saying that sanctification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for God's glory alone? Isn't that what Paul is trying to argue? Since your justification justification was such, so too your sanctification needs to be, Paul is saying. What is it to be sanctified? You know, we, we know Jesus' prayer in John 17, that we would be sanctified and, and God will answer that for those who are His and that we would be so by His Word. It is to be set apart from the world and unto God. But there's another side to this coin that is really just counterfeit currency in the kingdom economy. On one side of sanctification, when it comes to error, is what Paul is addressing here in that we can walk with God, we can live in this life after we have been born again according to our merits. That's one side of the error coin. The other side is, well, since I don't need to um, prove myself to God and bring my merit to Him, then, you know, whatever, just I'll just live. I'm saved and I'm good. And I'll just live how I want to live. Both just, just as wrong as the other. Think of this. Apathy and complacency, stagnancy, indifference and laziness are all 
also evidences of the flesh, and it shows at least the possibility that a true life-giving work of God never occurred. In other words, so since God has devoted himself to us, we can devote ourselves to him and live abundantly and experience his love as he created us to. Having been forgiven of all of our sins eternally, granted the righteousness of Christ, like Scott was saying earlier, when God looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness, the lamb without spot and without blemish. Again, if we go back to right before this passage in verse 20 of chapter 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And when he says flesh there, he's not contrasting it with the spirit. He's contrasting it, or he's, he's explaining his body. We have not yet been given our new bodies. We are not yet with the Lord. We are here on the earth, and yet I am living by faith according to the life of Christ. If Galatians 2.20, if indeed this applies to you, then you will be made more and more into the image of Jesus, like Romans 8 says predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that we would live holy lives, obedient to God and for his glory. So, verse 5 again. Does God supply his spirit by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law? He supplies it by the hearing of faith. Let me correct myself. He supplies him by the hearing of faith. Verse 6, now we get into Paul reaching back into the Old Testament and into closer to the beginning of the redemptive story and God's grand plan for his people to bring glory to his name. And he brings up Abraham. And in verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul is saying that Abraham's faith and Abraham's justification were works of the Spirit, not works of Abraham. Right? Just as Abraham. So we see in verse 5, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, he does it by the hearing of faith, just like God worked in Abraham. So when it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, we can see that Paul is making the point that God does the work from believing to righteousness. And then continuing on, because that's the, the thread of the letter here. Now, we see in verse 2 and 3, because we don't just go back to verse 5 when Paul brings about Abraham to our memory. He's, in verse 2 and 3, he says, I want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? And then in verse 3, he says, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? And then in verse 5, he says, He who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the flesh? So what this whole thing is indicating, and this, this was um, a special blessing to me, 
they indicate that the hearing of faith and the beginning in the Spirit are all works of grace. That's what Paul is clearly saying, and I think that might even be stronger and clearer than what I might normally go to regarding, well, is faith a work or not, right? Isn't that really mostly the question when it comes down to the doctrines of grace and and the heretical doctrines of man? Salvation is all of God except I believed. I believed. Right? And normally I'd go to Ephesians 2 or I'd go to Romans 10 where Paul basically explains step by step the process of salvation. But you know how it says in Ephesians 2, you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And, and some might say, well, yeah, but the faith doesn't include or the gift doesn't include faith, the faith is still something that you muster up. Right? You're like, no, it doesn't. It's clear. You can't boast. Nonetheless, here in Galatians 3, this argument is rock solid. Paul is saying so clearly that from the faith to the justification, to the sanctification, and then on to glorification, the work of God from beginning to end is just that with no interruption, with no cooperation, with nothing to bring from man. It is all of God, A to Z. And actually, let's go before A, because we're going back to eternity. And so... It's clear now the frustration of Paul to see these Galatians trying to be made perfect by the flesh, isn't it? Now, when we think of Abraham himself and his life and God working in him, we know that he was justified years before God commanded circumcision, right? And he was justified centuries before God gave the law to Moses. This shows us that neither circumcision or the law were ever intended by God to save. Only his son. He's going to build on this, drawing the line from Abraham back to Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden after the fall. So we see in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. To walk by faith is to walk as God intended, as with Abraham and as promised in Genesis 3 after the fall. Also, to walk by faith is to be led by the Spirit. We know from Romans 8, for as many as are led by the Spirit... They are the sons of God. Now, when we get down to verse 8, we see Paul again using um, the scriptures of his day to make his point, right? Paul didn't say, let me quote the Old Testament. Paul would just say, here's what Moses said. Here's the account of God working in Abraham's life. And so he uses the scripture to make his point. And in verse 80 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, 
In you all the nations shall be blessed. And so further on in this chapter, we see Paul kind of flesh this out a little more. Um, But what he says is that to be justified by faith in the seed of the woman, it deals a death blow to the seed of the serpent. The woman's seed would come through her, remember from Genesis 3? And it would go from her and Adam to Shem and to Abraham. And then we know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob had his sons. But it was Judah whom Jesus came through, Judah unto David. David down to both Joseph and Mary, but Mary more particularly because she was conceived. Jesus was conceived through her by the Holy Spirit, not having that sin nature passing from Adam through the other line of David that was also cursed. So Jesus, being able to be born of a virgin and not being born with a sin nature, can be our Redeemer and our propitiation. And He can stand in our place, yea, not stand, hang in our place, and receive the wrath of God in its totality and fullness, that which we should have received, that which He freely received in order to give us this righteousness with which we can stand before God and not only stand before Him, but walk before Him. That's the point of this letter. This is the in you part of Genesis 12, 3. And this is what Paul goes on to explain that. He's saying it's the seed, not seeds, See, if we go to Genesis 3, I'm sorry, Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed was the promise made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And then he clarifies, so there's no confusion. And to your seed, who is Christ? Who is Christ? All the nations will be blessed with Abraham in Jesus Blessed to be justified, blessed to be sanctified, blessed to be glorified by God's grace alone. So we see verse 9 here. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I think the sentence structure structure there is kind of funky. Um, It can be read as intended, I believe, but I think it'd be better said, um, all those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham who also believed. I think that's the better structure. Paul's whole point here is that if you are as Abraham, then the entirety of your life is of grace and not works. Grace unto justification Romans quoting Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Grace unto life. Galatians quoting Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Grace unto faith. The author to the Hebrews quoting Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. So if you are called into this whole scope of this grace, do not be turned away, do not be bewitched by God's enemy. The one who is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't be bewitched. 
Stay clear. This is what Peter means when he says, be sober minded. Do not have a foggy vision of God. Keep yourself in his love, like Jude says. And we know that, um, actually, I think it was in Scott's prayer, but we know that further on in a couple of chapters, Galatians chapter 5, we know the difference that Paul lays out between the works of the flesh, evident by these certain things, and then the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And then I believe that Paul then goes to list the fruit of love. Fruit, singular, love. And then this is what love looks like when you continue to read there. So let's close with Colossians chapter 2, if you guys could just turn over a few books. Let us all regard sanctification just as we do justification. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Paul says here, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In the same manner. He says in verse 7, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that we look back and we see you covenanting with Abraham. And when it was codified, Abraham was asleep and in the midst of great darkness. And you alone walked through the animals. And it stands. Your covenant stands. We, by your grace, are allowed to be a part of that. We are brought into it. And why? How? Because we are brought into Christ Jesus. And it's for that we are thankful. And we abound in thanksgiving. Help us not to walk in the flesh. We confess to you that our lives are made up of too much walking in the flesh. Forgive us. And we give ourselves to you for your sanctifying work as you would have it, as you would plan, because you are our good Father, because you love us, and you want the best for us. So work in us so that you might be glorified to the utmost. In Jesus' name, amen.